Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching in February 2024. Remember, the b2bincubator.com. Apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand journal roles, and content leads and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategy that they created in it. Again, make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Kevin, sorry I'm a little late, but I was just trying to work out. Now we're doing video. What should I do with my arms and my sleeves? Should they be rolled up? Should they be rolled down? It's pretty hot in here. What makes me look more professional? I see that you've put a similar amount of effort back into your same <laughs> white crumpled t-shirt, which Kevin, I thought that the whole point of last week was we learned from the feedback and you moved to that beautiful deep ocean blue collared shirt. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I have learned from the feedback and it turns out it's not worth the effort. <laughs> what are you talking about? They're our listeners, Kevin. They're our it's listeners. Not, it's not worth my discomfort, George. It's not worth my discomfort. Uh, I, th- <laughs> I thought you put in a good performance last week. I, I deliver a better performance without the shirt, George. I don't have to worry about, you know, it's already crumpled white t-shirt. It can't get more crumpled. It just puts me at ease. Yeah, as we said, it's the era of high value, low production content that's it focus on the high value content george that's it well kevin while we're talking about um high value low production content that may or may not be a good fit for your business but it is really part of what we're talking about this season in the b2b playbook it's all about being helpful and being helpful is the second b of our five b's framework again our five b's the show it's all about our step-by-step evergreen framework the five b's be ready be helpful be seen be better and be the best that's the five steps and kev i was thinking about this the other day i thought a real key differentiator for us versus some of the other marketing podcasts out there is they might be focused on like maybe one particular topic but a lot of the time i find what they do is they bring on experts to talk about a particular type of marketing or a particular tactic 
And I find that when you go through and you listen to it, you're sort of jumping all over the place. Like one week you might be focusing on Facebook ads, getting the most out of that. The next is how to push your YouTube organic the furthest, or it might be, we're going to be talking about account-based marketing, or it you know, might be demand generation the next week. I feel like, hey, what we're doing here is different because we've got the strategy and we're showing people step-by-step exactly how to do it. And I don't feel like there are other people out there doing that. That's very true, George. When other podcasts talk about those specific tactics or areas of B2B marketing, it is very important to have content in those areas, but it's almost putting the cart before the horse because you're diving deep into the details without having that overarching view of where that sits in a strategy and considering whether that approach actually sits well with your particular business strategy. Everyone can have a go at YouTube. Everyone can have a go at Facebook ads. It might not necessarily be the channel for you. Sure, you'll get a lot of tips about maximizing it, but maybe that investment could have been done better if it was done in a channel that suited your audience, suited your dream customers, suited your business at the end of the day. So it is important to have both. We're really happy to be able to focus more on that strategy, that overarching view of where everything fits in and that overall framework that we talk about the five Bs. Cool. Well, this season, as we said, is all about being helpful. And part of that is showing our listeners how to create like a good content strategy and you're creating content that people want to consume. It resonates with them, helps you lead them to where you want them to go. Before we dive into how to craft content that your dream customers are actually going to like and cut through the noise, which is the topic of today's episode, let's do a quick recap on Be Helpful and what Be Helpful actually means, Kev. Yeah, Be Helpful essentially means, again, deeply understanding your customers and talking to them to understand what their pain points are and then helping to solve those pain points for them. It works because it's a risk for someone to use your product or service. There's a fear of maybe looking a bit silly if they're backing the wrong thing. So trust is that bridge that will take them from inaction to action with your product or service. And helping people is what builds that trust to get you there. If you help them with those pain points, they will then come to you when they're ready to buy, when they're ready to buy and purchase your product or service or engage with you on a commercial basis. And they're less likely to be price sensitive at that point and won't be as likely to consider your competition. And a reminder, Kev, for our listeners that we are showing them step-by-step how to be helpful. As part of that today, we are discussing how to craft content that people actually want to consume and engage with. Then beyond that, we're going to teach people in the following weeks how to choose the right platform for your content to distribute it. Then we're going to share our framework on how to become a content production machine so you can pump out tons of content, get it distributed really nicely to the right people, but without that becoming your full-time job. Where they're going to teach people how to use qualitative data from the community who develops around your content to then feedback into your content and also into your product for marketing. And we're going to show people how to scale and keep track of these activities. And then finally, how to know when your content strategy is working. Content strategy is very different from performance marketing a lot of the time. There's a lot of people out there talking about different metrics to measure performance marketing. Content strategy is different to that. So people need a different set of metrics to focus on to see if it's working or not. And we will share that with people too. Today is about how to craft content that people actually want to consume and engage with. We're going to be giving you the techniques that we use for our clients and for ourselves. Just like we do for the B2B playbook each week, we've synthesized really Kev the best out there who have built audience first businesses. And we teach you the frameworks 
built by real leaders in the industry, people like Joe Paluzzi, who started the Content Marketing Institute, which is a company that he built and sold for $30 million in a handful of years. And that was based around really the first inbound movement for marketers and teaching them how to do inbound marketing. There's also people like Russell Brunson who use a similar framework and he's bootstrapped his business ClickFunnels to over $100 million in revenue. And this framework that we're sharing, we can tell are also being used by some of the best B2B businesses out there. Some SaaS companies come to mind like Drift or Alice, Metadata.io, and also some of the top B2B influencers out there too, who if you're in the LinkedIn spheres, you'll see them. They're very prominent. People like Chris Walker at Refine Labs and Dave Gerhardt. So we're excited to share those with people. Now, the first step in creating content that really cuts through the noise and your audience is going to like is first of all, determining what are you going to talk about? The thing we want you guys to keep in mind here is the purpose of that content is to help make your dream customers better. So using the information or connection to information that you have that's unique as a company or as a marketer and using that information to help your dream customers. Nobody cares about your product until they desperately need it. But by then it's kind of too late because if that's the first time that someone's heard of you, then they don't have that time to develop the trust they need to then buy into your product or service. Yeah, everyone has such busy lives. They have such busy lives, busy work lives. They don't really care about your product until it becomes a massive problem. And if you're just reaching them at that final point where it is a problem and they're looking for solutions, then you're kind of too late because you're in the exact same position as all your other competitors. I think a really good example here, borrowing from the B2C space actually, is here in Australia, we have a company that does blinds called Winston with a Y. And I think anyone who has seen their ads on TV, they are everywhere. They were everywhere about 10 years ago. Everyone can almost hear and sing that tune in the head as soon as someone mentions the name Winston with a Y. And why I bring this up is the blinds of our house are actually made by Winston with a Y. But we haven't heard an ad from them in about 10 years. And it's just because we kind of knew that name. We were definitely going back to them to compare when we considered blinds. So that's just the power of having that kind of brand awareness of something that hasn't really been on the radar for a very long period of time in terms of active marketing, but it can still have a massive impact on a purchase decision down the track. Right. So they found a way to get in your head all those years ago, Kevin. I guess their way of doing it maybe wasn't helpful, but it w- they got in your head through their incredibly annoying tune that <laughs> goes behind Winston with a Y and it stuck there. And then when you needed the blinds, then you were ready to order from them. Exactly. Exactly. At some point, you just have to get into your customers' heads Be that with an annoying jingle, preferably we want to steer away from being annoying. Take what you can from the example that you do need to get into your customers' heads, but we encourage you to be helpful to your audience so that there's a positive association with why you're in their heads. Yeah, it's be helpful, not be annoying. But nevertheless, the the example is actually a great one, Kevin, because you're right. That's why we are being helpful. Is not It's not just to build trust, and that's a very important element, but ultimately marketing is about being top of mind. So when someone has that problem, they think of you first. So a terrific example there. Thinking about what you should talk about on behalf of the company that you work at, 
You need to start by deeply understanding what it is that your dream customers need help with. And the best way to do this is to ask through customer interviews by actually picking up the phone or arranging a Zoom, Google Meet, whatever it is with your best customers. You can collect some more data by looking at LinkedIn job ads. We went through this over the last couple of weeks. We spoke about it a lot last season on ways that you can gather intel on what the pain points are for your customers. But basically, if you've done that work from season one, you know what it is that your dream customers need help with. We will assume that you know who this content is for because if you went through season one, then you've already identified who your decision makers are, who your influencers are. Again, another quick example, just from our point of view, Kev, I talk to our listeners once a week at minimum, listen to their pain points. For example, they might tell me, I want to do this or that in my career, or how do I repurpose my content better? And then we go ahead and create content accordingly that just fixes those problems. I mean, the main point is that I just get my understanding of what they want just by asking them. It can be a lot more simple than people make it out to be. That's right. It doesn't have to be hard. Once you have that understanding of who your content is going to be for, you need to determine what your editorial mission is. And your editorial mission is why your audience is going to care about your content. A question you can ask yourself when forming this editorial mission is how are you going to make the lives of your dream customers better? For us, our mission is to give B2B marketers and business owners the strategy and tools that they need to accelerate the growth of their companies online. Yes, that has the wonderful side effect of accelerating their career growth too, but that's our core mission, giving them the strategy and the tools they need for B2B companies to grow faster online. So in a sense, George, your editorial mission shouldn't really be about you. It's about your dream customer and how you're going to help them. That's right. It's important to do this as you can then check in that all of your content stays true to your editorial mission. It has a theme and a purpose. I would say to people, Kevin, don't make your show about nothing unless you're Jerry Seinfeld. He and Larry David are the only two people in the world who have permission to make a show about nothing. So when it comes to your approach for your content marketing, it's gotta be about something. That something is your unique way of helping your dream customers solve their problems and make their lives better. You know, George, a show about nothing is a theme in itself, so... I don't know. I think there's still a theme there. <laughs> I think a better, more concrete example is the editorial mission of Metigy. Our editorial mission at Metigy is to make marketers feel empowered with real-time marketing insights for growing businesses. It's all about providing any marketer, no matter how experienced or inexperienced they are, with the help that they need to grow their business and to do this crazy thing that we call digital marketing, paid or organic social media marketing, whatever form that might come in, we want to give you all the tools, no matter how experienced you are, so that you can succeed. That's a great North Star for the company to have. They have a direction that they want to go and they've properly identified how they're actually going to help their set of customers have a better life. That's right. So Kevin, having that editorial mission is pretty crucial. It's a crucial first step beyond understanding who you're writing for, who your dream customers are and what their pain points are is then, okay, what's our editorial mission? How are we going to help them? and always creating your content with that in mind. The next step is determining what Joe Poluzzi calls from the Content Marketing Institute calls your tilt. What is your content tilt? Now, this is what gives you the cut through. Kevin, your example with Medigy, they're about helping growing businesses through all different kinds of 
marketing, marketing strategy and marketing execution. There's so many businesses out there. So for Metigy to go out there and get traction, like everyone else, they need a tilt. They need a way to get cut through. And there's really three major different ways that you can put a tilt on what it is that you're doing. And remember, tilt is your way of differentiating yourself from the market out there. The first way is, can you and your company go extra niche with your content? The second way is, can you adopt a new platform where your dream customers are, but there isn't anyone dominating in that space? And the third way is, is there something just extra, extra different about you that is a little bit harder to categorize in in the same way that being on a new platform or being extra niche is, but is there just like that little bit of X factor, something is a little bit different? So why don't we dig into the first way to tilt, which is being extra niche. All right, being extra niche. Let's start with an example. If you were a web dev company, is there a particular niche that you can really zone in on? For example, you can not just focus on B2B web dev, but B2B web dev for companies between the series A and series B funding rounds. So that's a much more niche down version or angle of just talking about B2B web dev in general. Right, and if you are someone who is between the series A and B rounds and you need web dev, then you're gonna go to the person who's creating content that's talking about the pain points of people who are between series A and B rounds and need a website built. That's right, George. And then that same principle can be applied in a different way. So for example, you can then tailor it to a particular industry. For example, when we talk about B2B marketers, we could theoretically talk specifically about the finance world and the strategy and tools they need to accelerate growth of the companies in finance. So finance industry becomes that extra niche. And you know, we can do the same thing again for companies that are trying to grow their companies using podcasts. So there's an endless amount of ways you can dissect it. And you can go really deep here as you get into the extra niches that you can go into. Just be careful about going too small, being too big with your niches, but trying to layer on as many of these extra niches as possible will help you get that extra tilt. I think a really good example here actually is if you are in the digital marketing space, you may have heard of Simo Ahava. So he's someone who does very specific technical digital marketing analytics guides and specifically for Google Analytics. He doesn't really talk about tracking in general. He doesn't really talk about even digital marketing analytics for every single tool and every single website out there. He just talks about it in terms of setting up that tracking, setting up the analytics so it feeds into Google Analytics. And it's quite interesting because he's obviously directed his content at digital marketing web devs or tracking experts in the digital marketing space because the language he uses, the examples and screenshot he uses, they're all fairly technical. He doesn't go into a lot of detail explaining some of the basics. So you can see that it's very much geared towards someone who's been in the space for a little while and is looking to implement or solve a very specific technical problem on implementing tracking in Google Analytics. Kev, I just finished reading uh, Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore, which is a great read, highly recommend it for, for people out there. And one thing that he says is you should always try and be the biggest fish in your pond, even if that means going to a much smaller pond to start with. And so that's your way of niching down as much as you can without completely limiting yourself and trying to be the biggest fish in that pond. Your example of Simo Ahava is a great way of doing it. He's not just in marketing. He's not just in 
analytics. He's even focused on particular platforms within the analytics world, mostly Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager. And Simo Ohava, as we've always said for years, Kevin, since we came across him, he is the king of this stuff. And so his content has so much cut through and we go to his website to get that information because we know he's the best, or at least we think he's the best because that's all he talks about. So listeners, that's one good way of getting a tilt is can you find that extra niche? Can you find that smaller pond to start with? The next way that you can find a tilt is by getting a first mover advantage to a new platform. A really cool example of this, Kev, is this guy from a company called Refine Labs. They're an agency in the B2B space and one of their employees, Todd Clouser, is killing it on TikTok and he's releasing all these hilarious videos that kind of a satire about the relationship between marketing and sales and the constant tension between the two. That is a huge pain point, particularly at the moment, particularly for bigger businesses as well. So it's a massive pain point. He's moved to TikTok and he's actually just blowing up there. And the views that he's getting are people who are those who can empathize with what is going on. And those are actually going to end up being the decision makers and influencers for Refine Labs. So by moving to TikTok first, he got a whole lot of reach first. He adopted the medium and he's spreading the message and adapting it into like a slightly different way than what he would do if he were just on LinkedIn. Kev, it's not my favorite way to tilt unless you're really adapting you're created for that new platform. Todd Clouser wouldn't have had the same success if he had posted the probably like more professional content that you would on LinkedIn onto TikTok. He's adapted it for that medium. So there's like fast cuts, there's titles overlaid, there's a lot of like point of view with the camera and it's working and adapting to that medium. You can't just chuck what you would do on another platform onto the new platform and go, well, this is our tilt. That's not gonna work. Yeah, it certainly would take a bit longer where you have to understand what works on that platform, that new platform a little bit, and maybe take a few chances to test and figure out what works before you can really ramp up and get that first mover advantage in those cases. And sometimes someone might beat you to it. I do think the Refine Labs guys have a history of doing this quite well. I believe in one of the episodes of their podcast, they were talking about how they were able to get a lot of traction on LinkedIn in that space by doing video first. Uh, and a lot of their competitors at the time weren't doing video. So because they were able to get onto video on LinkedIn first, they got a lot of pull, a lot of cut through because it was a lot harder for other competitors to copy that sort of content. Maybe Winston with the Y Kev were the first ones to do a lot of television <laughs> who just specifically focused on blinds. Yeah, I mean, we don't remember any other blind manufacturers or, or names out there. No, like, I mean, Bunnings, I'm sure you can buy blinds from Bunnings, but that's not what they're highlighting in their television adverts, right? And that's all that Winston with a Y care about. So they've got that cut through by being probably the most niche on a medium that might have been maybe a little less competitive, maybe a little newer for blind manufacturers. And maybe even a little bit higher of an entry barrier for other competitors to get into. And potentially they invested heavily into one channel to build that competitive advantage. So it's interesting to have a look in your particular industry, have a look at where your competitors are at and where you can potentially get an edge on them in different platforms that they might not already be on. I really didn't expect us to be talking about Winston with a Y so much this episode, but it's actually a, it's actually a really good example, Kevin. <laughs> it's a very good example. 
So the third way that you can tilt, again, the first two was extra niche, going extra niche. The second is adapting your content for a new platform. The third way is, do you have something extra? That extra thing could be maybe there's a whole lot of industry data or insights that you're sitting on that nobody else is surfacing. Are there a whole lot of qualitative insights that you guys have just by virtue of being the company that you are, that you're just sitting on and that you can use that to fuel content? One great example of that, George, is if we're talking about the property market, which is all the rage here in Australia as usual. But if you look at that market and the content that's in that space from your realestate.coms, your domains, domain actually do a very good job of using the data they have on property, you know, best-selling suburbs, uh, worst-selling suburbs, where the distribution of growth is. And they put that into articles and content and they use that to really generate a lot of interest in their brands um, over time through content as opposed to just listing postings and relying on ads. So they actually take the data that they're sitting on that nobody else in the market might have. Sure, realestate.com could ha- could do the same thing and pull that information, but obviously there are certain listings that's just specific to domain. And if they have a wider pool of that data, if they're pulling together content like that in a graphical form, that's offering something extra to their target audience, their dream customers. And that's people who are interested in buying a property or being in the property market. That's a great example, Kevin. Sorry to keep bringing it back to us, but you know I love talking about anything that has me in it. <laughs> Our differentiating factor is, yes, there are other B2B marketing podcasts out there, but we're really, really careful to distinguish strategy from tactics. And that's a big thing that we do. And I don't feel like there are, are any other podcasts in marketing out there that are showing people step-by-step exactly what to do from a strategy perspective and how the tactics feed into that. Yeah, that's right. So that's our extra thing. And obviously, uh, a lot of other examples of extra things that people can offer include things like industry data or insights that you're sitting on that nobody else in the industry is able to service or has surfaced. It could even be qualitative insights that maybe no one else has that same access to, whether that's a conversation with a customer or a set of customers that nobody is really able to have the same insights for. Okay, so when it comes to creating our content strategy, we've covered our problems to solve, our editorial message, and our tilt. Now from that, our listeners should be able to jot down a bunch of ideas on what content to create within these frameworks. If you don't, then you probably haven't understood your customers deeply enough and you need to go back through everything we've spoken about in season one. And remember that these topics that you choose shouldn't be specific to your product, but should be related to your industry. So if I'm selling HR software, I'm not talking about all the features and how they make your lives better in that, within our own HR platform. We're talking about something within the industry generally. What problem exists for HR managers or other people who use your software and you're addressing what their pain points are. So you can help that dream customer to where you want to go with your content. You're not talking about your products. As soon as you start talking about your product, then they're just not going to care about you anymore. Essentially, you're guiding and helping them with your expertise and possibly entertaining them at the same time. I think a good example of this is Sixth, their car hire company. And they do a lot of guest and sponsor posts about best road trip destinations, whether that's in New South Wales or beyond. Although it's related to cars, it's not about the cars. 
It's about the travel destination. So it's more about travel as opposed to the car products that they have available to you for you to hire. Oh, I've heard of six. They were pretty funny. They had some pretty adverts, funny adverts going. And I needed to book car hire because I'm hoping to go away in the middle of the year. And six was the first website I went to because I just remembered them. And yes, I think that they did run a Google ad when I Googled like car hire, but that is just part of their demand capturing strategy. They already created that demand and I already was familiar with that brand because they got into my head and were top of mind with their funny adverts. And because they were funny, it made them seem like human and relatable. And for some reason, I just felt like they were different to all the other run-of-the-mill car hire companies out there. And then they were quite clever about nurturing that initial brand awareness with content that someone who is early on in that consideration phase might be thinking about. So for example, in your case, George, you're thinking about hiring a car for a road trip. You might still be in that planning phase. And so they've released a bunch of articles about travel destinations for road trips. So if you're looking to do some research about road trips in New South Wales, then their articles are fairly prominent and you'll be able to then dig a bit deeper into the great content that they put out on that topic of road trips. And again, it's the brand coming up and you associating them with being helpful, with being experts in the space. And naturally, as you get closer to actually hiring a car and booking it, one of the businesses that you'll be considering hiring from will probably be that great company that you're reading all this helpful content from. Sometimes it's really good to look at B2C brands like Sixth that also have a longish sales cycle. So when you're choosing to hire a car that, you know, can happen months out from when you're actually planning your trip, it might be similar to the time length of the sales cycle of B2B. And often B2C has so much of this stuff worked out and you can take so many good pointers from what the best B2C companies with long sales cycles are doing out there. Six is a great example. Kev, I just want to give our listeners a few more tips beyond making sure that you have your editorial mission and your content tilt worked out. One tip I'd like to give, and this again stems from making sure you do that customer research first, is to use the same language that your customers use when you talk. If they're using jargon within reason, then use that jargon because it makes you feel like you're part of a club. It makes you feel like you're in the right place. A lot of our listeners, Kev, they know what HubSpot is. They know what MQLs are. So we can use those terms and we don't have to clarify them as much. And by using them, our listeners might think, oh, okay, I'm listening to a podcast that's made for me. Because if I turned to my mate, you know, Simon, and I said, hey, Simon, we spoke today with Kevin about MQLs and then gave people a walkthrough on HubSpot, he'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? He has no <laughs> idea what we're talking about. So in a way, it can be good to use those terms because it makes people feel like I'm in the right place. This is for me. Along that line, George, another example that we've kind of already touched on this episode is coming back to Simo Hava. One of his latest articles is titled Manipulate Response Headers and Server-Side Google Tag Manager. I mean, for the average person, that would just make no sense. But for his target audience, people in that digital marketing tracking analytics space, and probably with a little bit of dev experience, that might be pretty clear, even though it is quite specific. Oh, I love that. I love that. And you know what? You can just imagine that title being a question that someone asked him like, hey, Simo, how do I manipulate response headers in server-side Google Tag Manager? That is probably something he's been asked a bunch of times. And it sounds like garbage to most of us. (laughs) 
but there'd be so many other people who have that exact same question and problem. And Simo Ohava, he's the dude to solve it. Yeah, I mean, for us, we might already be a bit more familiar with Google Tag Manager and things like that. But even for us, we need to kind of look that title over a couple of times just to get it in our heads and to be able to say it in one go on on the podcast here. But for a lot of his audience, that would just make complete sense to them. And they'll instantly recognize that he has expertise if he's able to title an article right at the top of his website with that. Yeah, I love it. You know I love a niche, Kevin. You know that I'm a big (laughs) Facebook group lurker, always trying to join different communities. Um, You know, it comes from a deep, deep misguided sense of not belonging. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's middle child syndrome, Kevin. But it is always a fascinating insight whenever you join a community, just how deep those communities go. Kevin, I think that actually brings up one more point that I'd like to talk about. If you are picking a topic that does have cut through and is extra niche, then you're so much more likely to be able to build a community around that. Last year, everyone was talking about 2021 is the year of content strategy. 2022 is the year of building communities. But you can't build a community unless you have that pillar in the ground, unless you have that content first. And I think the reality is most people are getting to their content strategy this year. There's still going to be a lot of people lagging behind, but that's going to take time to build. But if you go through these steps, if you get your editorial mission down, if you get your content tilt down, then you're going to be so much more likely to be able to get cut through so you can build a community around your content. Very good, George. All right, next week, we'll be talking about what type of content and platforms you should pick in order to distribute your content. In the episode, we'll answer questions like, should you do a podcast, webinar, blogs, eBooks, white papers, whatever it might be. We'll also be talking about how you can answer the question, where should I distribute that content? So whether that's on social, on a platform like LinkedIn or YouTube, or maybe it's organic SEO through a blog and even new platforms like TikTok. Yeah, distribution is just as important as content creation. So we don't even need to distinguish it in our content strategy. Distribution should be a part of your content strategy. So next week is going to be really important for listeners to tune in so you know what type of content you're going to make and how to choose what channel you should be distributing it on. So George, a quick round the grounds of the key takeaways from this episode. First, your content needs to be helpful if it's going to build trust. And trust is what you need for someone to buy your product or service. Second, helpful content is what your audience will care about because it has a positive impact on their lives. Your mission statement is how your content will make that impact. And third, your content tilt is what makes you stand out from your competitors. It's your unique point of difference. It's what stops people when they're scrolling through the feed, whether that's on LinkedIn, Facebook, or TikTok. And it's what makes people feel at home when they tune into your content. Finally, you can only do all this if you speak to your customers first and make sure you really understand what they need help with. Very, very nice summary, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, As per usual, listeners, you can find the links to everything we discussed in the show notes. Again, next week, we're going to cover the second step in this content framework, which is deciding what content type or format is right for your business and what platform you should be distributing it on. 
We're really, really grateful that each week more and more people are listening. It's so awesome to have you along for the journey. If you're getting good value from this podcast, if we can ask just one thing, it's to please just leave us a short review on whatever platform it is that you're listening on. It's an amazing help to us and we'd really, really appreciate it. Take care, listeners, and see you next week. Catch you then. Cheers. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.